Saturday morning cartoons were awesome. From the 1960s through the 1990s, we kicked off each weekend in a frenzy of animation that is unmatched today. But were these shows actually any good? Join us as we dig into the history of your favorite and not so favorite Saturday morning cartoons, look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of each one, and determine if our nostalgia matches the reality when it comes to these tunes. So stay in your PJs, grab a bowl of cereal, and settle in. I'm John. And I'm Robert. And this is Toon Talk. So, John. Yeah, Robert. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. There it is. That's the, the answer that everybody our age or like there's a certain age or everybody, that's the, that's the answer. When you hear that question. Yeah, that's the only answer gonna, to that question. Yeah. Yep. And it was a big part of that, uh, the song from the movie, too, with Ray Parker Jr. Who are you going to call? Yeah. Ghostbusters. So yeah. it was a musical thing, too. And it's only fitting because that's the uh, subject matter for our discussion today, which is the real Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters from 1986. It was actually a pretty long-running cartoon, as Saturday morning cartoons go. But, you know, for you and I, we're not experts on the Ghostbusters. So we've uh, we've brought in a ringer. Yeah. Uh, somebody who knows much more than we do. And I'm excited. I'm really excited because we are so joining us is Tim from the Nerd Room podcast. So the Nerd Room, it, it looks at various aspects of pop culture from fandoms like Star Wars, Marvel and DC Comics, Jurassic Park, and of course, Ghostbusters. And it looks not only at the, the movies, the TV, like the, the visual mediums, but also the collecting and the, the physical medium that go along with it that really help us connect to these fandoms that we love. So yeah. Tim, welcome to Toon Talk. Guys, thank you so much for having me on here. I really appreciate you letting me jump on here and experience the real Ghostbusters again. I've been back watching some episodes. I've got my fill of nostalgia, and I'm ready to talk about the show. And also, like you said, the collecting piece of it, which has been a probably a four or five year journey I've been on getting back into it recently. So I'm pumped to kind of share some stuff with you guys here. Very cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you have in the nerd room there. What I, what I see behind you is really cool, so I can't wait to see the Ghostbusters stuff. Well, and, yeah. and this is actually really lets us dig into an aspect of Saturday morning cartoons that we've touched on, but we haven't really dug into before. Like, we've talked about the Transformers and Rainbow Bright cartoons that were really created to for the specific goal of selling toys. Right. And so we've looked at it from the corporate side of it, yeah. but we haven't looked at the consumer end of it and what, you know, the kids who actually buy the toys and play with them and help them connect more with the actual uh, cartoon that that's on the air. So that's where, so we're able to lean in on, on Tim's expertise, both as a kid growing up loving the show and owning the toys. And now as an adult going back and retro collecting and kind of yeah, you know, being able to kind of fill out more of those, those those gaps that we all have as kids, like, well, I wish I had that. Well, yeah, yeah, right. Well, it's like I remember when when eBay became a thing. You know, the things I was searching for on eBay were like my childhood toys. Yes, Where's that Tonka fire truck that I had. <laughs> I bet someone has one somewhere. Um, you know, now obviously there's there are better ways to to find things and collect things. Um, but yeah, that you know, my memory of these these cartoons and shows we've been talking about a lot of it is the toy that i had that went with that show you know what was my favorite transformer toy rather than what was my favorite transformer episode mm -hmm. it was which toy did i like the best um so yeah the the collecting and the consumer side of it is something we really haven't discussed and that's that's always going to be an interesting question for people is that i would think a lot of people think that they remember the cartoons Think that they remember the movies maybe more, but it's really the toys that they had. And for me personally, you know, as I've been collecting things in the retro space, 
it, that's really come to the forefront of the nostalgic kind of piece of it all is that my connection is through the the toys. Like I love the cartoon, but I couldn't tell you really prior to kind of going back and revisiting some of this, what episodes happen. Like there's things that pop in my mind, but you guys are telling me like there's 140 some odd episodes. Like I would have never have guessed that, but I, I can tell you almost every single action figure that exists and some that most actually that don't even ever even appear in the real Ghostbusters. Oh, and really? that, yeah, like almost all of them, to be honest with you, never actually appear in the real Ghostbusters. We could talk about that later. It's a really unique toy line in that aspect is that it doesn't reflect the cartoon in the same way that maybe Transformers did or Ninja Turtles to agree did. Um, and even now modern times where everything is a reflection of what we see on the big screen or on the, the small screen. Yeah. Yeah, well, it reminds me, even as growing up as a, a kid collecting Star Wars toys, I didn't know the name of all those Star Wars creatures that you would see all that populated the film, but I knew them from the action figures because you get the toys. And like, oh, yeah, yeah. that's 3Ds. Like, they don't say the name of the movie and it never comes up, but you kind of, as a fan, you, you did, it strengthens your connection to all that medium because, you know, you're learning something beyond what you just see on the screen. Yeah, and you can kind of extend, like, that's the, the best part about toys. And I think that's really where they leverage the marketing aspect of it. It extends your experience. Yeah. And that's what we always try to do on the podcast. That is kind of our, our MO is like, we're always trying to extend the experience when you leave the theater or when you leave the TV show, it's bridging the gap between say watching a Marvel film and connecting to a fan. And we, we always try to be that gap, but the toys in essence are exactly that you can create and expand the universe that you've just sat and watched the last half an hour, an hour on TV, and you can go and play and, and create your own universe and reconnect with these characters on an intimate level where you're just sitting on the ground and playing with them for, for hours. Yeah. And you're, you're creating your own stories then, right? Too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, were you one of the kids that would take, you know, your Star Wars toys would would play with the G.I. Joe guys and, you know, you'd mix, mix characters in from No mixing for me, together? man. No mixing for me unless there was a necessity to bring in, especially for the Ghostbusters, uh, a different ghost or something like that or a different foe for my, my Ghostbusters to chase okay. down. But yeah. when I got into the realm of Star Wars, it was no, it's Star Wars. There's no, there's no, nothing mixed in here. I got to keep these universes separate. Yeah, I see. Nice. Well, what do you guys remember of this cartoon? Uh, do you remember watching it live or like Tim, what, like what, what is your connection to, to the real Ghostbusters? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm an 85 kid. So I'm like mid eighties there. And this, this show came out in 86. So I definitely wasn't watching it as a one-year-old, but I probably <laughs> not thinking back on it, caught it in syndication in the later eighties, kind of around 87 to 88, probably is when I was watching this. And I, my mom sent me a picture not too long ago during the pandemic when I really amped up some of my retro collecting and it was me watching an episode of the real Ghostbusters, the old big tube TV in the background, the firehouse, the Ecto-2 beside me, some of the more iconic pieces of, of Ghostbusters collecting. And, and this was it for me in that early or late eighties space. This was the show for me. I was, I never was a Transformers guy. It was this and Ninja Turtles, which really dominated my time on Saturday mornings. Oh, cool. Yeah, I remember um, watching this cartoon after the, the movie, because I loved the movie. Um, just some funny actors in the movie, too, with Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray um, and Ernie Hudson, you know, and seeing how that was going to be treated. 
as a cartoon and watching that cartoon on Saturday mornings and then in syndication after school, you know, it's like, oh, Ghostbusters was a great movie. It was cool. And now here's more Ghostbusters stories that I get to watch. Um, I do remember being disappointed in the the monsters or the ghosts on the show because they weren't as dynamic as the ones in the movie, you know, because they're obviously in the animated version of it. And I mean, how many ghosts can you draw? (laughs) There are hundreds of them in this in this series. But uh, yeah, for me, it was it was in real time watching it um, as a kid growing up. So I watched it as it came out. Yeah, and I I remember it coming out. Yeah, my connection is I remember seeing the, the movie in the theater and loving it. Um, and yeah, being in the playground the whole next week, and we were just talking about it nonstop, oh, really? it and having a blast. And then um, I remember the cartoon coming on, and it didn't really didn't connect with me as well. Um, it, it, I mean, so I remember watching it here and there, but never mm-hmm. really watching like religiously every week. Sure. It wasn't it didn't quite click for me. But that doesn't mean that you know, as as I've gone back and rewatched it, I realized I can see those points where. Yeah, that's why I didn't. That's why it didn't connect with me. But there's yeah. also things like, well, if I had stuck with it, sure, there's things I really would have loved. Right, so it's kind of like in between. It, it, it's interesting. It'll be it's be an interesting discussion because um, I mean, obviously, the origins of the Ghostbusters is really easy to trace. We've just talked about it. It's a 1984 movie that turned into a blockbuster, and there is a push to then become you know how do we capitalize on it, and, and no place better than through a animated cartoon on yeah. Saturday mornings to, to get the kids drawn in. Um, the history and the drama behind it all, way more in depth, way more going on than I ever would have imagined. Yeah, I didn't I didn't expect that when we were going into this. Because I'm like, well, this is a slam dunk. The movie was a huge success. Let's let's make a cartoon and throw it on TV. Isn't that the way it always works? <laughs> it's supposed to, right? That's <laughs> easy. <laughs> but not so much here. So. Not so much. Um, yeah, I mean, so let's let's actually start with all that drama starts with the the name and that's the ghostbusters the you know acquiring the rights for columbia um was a a bit of a chore so they started recording you know filming the movie and it was actually well on the way and they still hadn't determined what the final movie the name of the movie was because the name ghostbusters already existed and belonged to filmation anime our good friends in filmation who had a had a live action 1974 show that featured two men and a gorilla chasing supernatural phenomena um as you know of course filmation would add a gorilla (laughs) (laughs) short-lived but long enough to to establish the name and so the uh columbia pictures had to reach out and secure that and of course they were well within filming they're actually filming as you remember the in the movie the scene where the crowd is lining the streets watching the ghostbusters go challenge gozer at the end of the film and they all start cheering ghostbusters ghostbusters and at that point ivan reitman the, the director reached out to the studio heads and was like okay well we have to have the name now because it's in there and we're not refilming this thing so, <laughs> we're um, stuck with it so that's the name so they did they reached out to universal and who was actually the the rights holders for all filmation content at that point and uh, made an agreement for $500,000 and 1% of the profits profits of the, of the movie, um, which was great for the movie. But beyond that, for when you try to do a cartoon or anything like that, it, uh, it doesn't work because the, the, the agreement didn't include anything beyond that. Beyond the movie. So um, with this movie becoming a big hit and they wanted to move forward with it with anything else they had to come back and recircle around and figure out how to rename it because 
this wasn't going to work anymore because it wasn't part of the agreement. Um, it, so- it, it's an interesting lack of foresight on the, the part of Columbia there, right? And like, I think that goes to show how much confidence maybe they didn't have in this being a runaway success that it was. It would lead to a sequel, a what like six or seven season, whatever this is of cartoons and merchandise and all this, not securing rights beyond the film. Like that would never be done today. When you secure rights, it's for literally everything. And here you are where you, you've just got, Oh, this is going to be a one-off and we'll get the rights for this. We'll toss a little profit this way. And then you run into these issues and show it's, it's, it's kind of like, as you said, like this interesting history where even beginning with the name, it's been somewhat turbulent because not having the rights to all this stuff creates issues down the road. And it would be followed that they did one season of the extreme ghostbusters, um, and that was actually featured a, an entire new team of supernatural fighting heroes, and it lasted one season that was gone. Um, the ratings for that one cratered, and that was sure. it. So once they pulled the original Ghostbusters out, it was done. Yeah. Um, well, and then you pull all the, all the writers who knew the show really well. That sure. was the end of it, too. Yeah, but, it was a completely different show at that point. Yeah, well, and partly what made it a different show was the the cast change and the voice change. And yeah. The, 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 and, I mean, I let you kind of dig into that. Mm-hmm. The, the some of the tremendous voice voice acting on this show yeah and but still a lot of turnover anyway yeah it was it was weird because it was like a after two or three years almost every character changed um voice actors but some big heavy hitters and voice actors here um egon um in the movie played by harold ramus just for a, a visual reference egon spengler was played by maurice lamarche also was the voice of Stay Puft and Mrs. Spengler, his mom, he voiced his mother mm-hmm. as well. Um, but what was really cool about Maurice is he also did the voice of Brain on Pinky and the Brain, which oh, is I just- can totally a, hear that. Yeah, can you hear it now? What are we gonna do tonight, Brain? <laughs> Same thing we do every night, Brain. <laughs> you know, it's just, you can totally hear the Brain, because the Brain's one of my favorite characters, you know, on Pinky and the Brain, one of my favorite cartoons, but, um, yeah, I can hear his voice. And then when I when I learned that and I was watching it, I was seeing the brain um, <laughs> doing this character. Um, Ray Stans, played by Dan Aykroyd in the movie, uh, was Frank Welker. Our good friend Frank. Our good friend Frank Welker, who's in almost every cartoon that we we talk about. Um, he was, every cartoon that we don't talk about, he's in. He's in that too, yeah. Um, <laughs> he also is the voice of Slimer. And almost any other ghost that doesn't speak a language, any any animal sound or ghost sound, <laughs> Frank Welker did all of those voices and sounds. Just phenomenally um, talented and, and did all the nonverbal characters as well, including making the sound of Ecto-2, the, the car. He was, <laughs> he was the sound of the car, too. Um, Peter Venkman, played by Bill Murray in the movie, was voiced by Lorenzo Music, from 86 to 87, um, who is the voice of everyone's favorite lasagna-eating cat, Garfield. He's the voice of Garfield on Garfield and Friends, um, but then was was switched out for Dave Collier, um, who was yeah, a Dave lot Coulier, of, yeah. yeah, Dave Collier was also a lot of ghosts, including Evil Slimer. Did you see that episode where there was an Evil Slimer? I, I did not watch that. One. I didn't see that one either, but apparently there is one, and Dave Collier plays Evil Slimer. Um, he's best known as Uncle Joey on Full House, mm-hmm. um, and had a separate career as a, as a stage comedian, a very funny guy, um, and did a lot of the voices on Muppet Babies. Mm-hmm. And in his stand-up, he did a lot of baby voices, um, 
as part of his his stick on stage, but uh, was a lot of voices on Muppet Babies. What's interesting about that, the, the Lorenzo, there's a bit of controversy about Lorenzo music leaving the show. So again, they, there's part of all the changes between season two and season three, Lorenzo music going away. Mm-hmm. Lorenzo music at that time was, he was kind of upper echelon of voice acting. It was a big deal, yeah. I mean, you know, um, whether or not this story is true, it fascinates me, is that <laughs> Bill Murray allegedly was watching it with his kids, watching Real Ghostbusters with his kids, and reached out to the studio and said, why is this guy not talk sound like me? <laughs> oh, really? And so they got rid of Lorenzo Music, and they found Dave Coulier, who then did a an absolutely, he does an impression. An impression of, of Bill Murray. Of Bill Murray's mm-hmm. character, and not like the, the oh, music. I didn't the find that. Is yeah. just his voice. Did Did you ever find the Garfield thing distracting though? Because upon rewatching some of this, every time Peter Venkman talked, all I could think about was Garfield from the <laughs> Garfield Christmas special. Exactly. That, that's I this... all I could hear. Yeah. Every yeah. time, and like it took me a few minutes to like re-engage my ear or like retrain my ear to like what Garfield sounded like in the eighties, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Whoa!" Like this is immensely distracting right now. Not that it was at the time, and that's just you know yeah. how it's aged for me. But yeah. it's although being like an upper echelon voice actor, I don't really know what else he was in. But the two things I do know, he, he sounds exactly the same, which is yeah. interesting. What I had a hard time with when he's the voice of Garfield, Garfield is almost like an inner dialogue. You know, you don't see Garfield's mouth. Yeah. Move. So when I see, when I hear the Garfield voice, but it's coming out of a human's face with the mouth moving, I, I couldn't put that together. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember his voice from the Gummy Bears, the yeah. Gummy Bear cartoon. So he was actually one of the, I think, Tummy Gummy Tummy. from that show. Yeah, he was Tummy. And Gummy. then going back, so when I was a, when I was a kid, um, on the, I think it was, it must have been Comedy Central or one of those comedy shows. They would replay old like sitcoms, and one of them was Rhoda. And Lorenzo Music was the voice of uh, Carlton the Doorman. So you never saw him; you always heard him. Heard he was voice. on every episode, and I loved the character. So that's that I always that's said Carlton the Doorman. Well, I'm glad it's not just us, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. So I was just like, "What is happening here?" <laughs> yeah. Um, so Winston Zedmore, played by Ernie Hudson in the movie, um, was Arsenio Hall was the voice mm-hmm. um, originally. Arsenio Hall, you know, had his television um, show, the Arsenio Hall show, late night talk show. He was also in Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. Um, He also did a lot of human extras, and he was my favorite ghost, the vacuum ghoul. Um, In this, the vacuum ghoul, if you remember, was looked like a vacuum and it had a mouth and it would talk. And it reminded me of the the kindly grandpa character in the brave little toaster oh yeah <laughs> the vacuum that would talk so i had a hard time picturing that vacuum as a bad guy you know because he was <laughs> such a nice guy in the brave little toaster but um winston was later played by buster jones um buster jones was doc on gi joe the movie um and the judge on the new batman adventures so hmm. he had a, a bit of a career outside of um ghostbusters as well Jeannie, um, Janine, Janine, I read it, I spelled it Jeannie, that's why I said Janine, um, played by Annie Potts um, in the movie. Uh, Laura Summer played her originally, and, and she didn't do much else, really. I couldn't, mm-hmm. She was a producer, and I think she was one of those, 
hey, come over here and read this. We need a woman on this script. And they'd pop in and read it. Give us a good New York accent. Give us a New York accent and be mean. Sound like this woman from the movie. (laughs) And then we're going to get rid of you. And then we're going to dump you. (laughs) And we're going to bring in Kath Susie. Um, And Kath Susie, next to Welker, is the biggest voice we have in this cartoon. She was Phil and Lil on Rugrats, created a lot of the characters on Rugrats as well. Mm. Uh, She was Lolo Bunny in Space Jam, uh, Kanga in the Tigger movie. She was on Futurama, Mm. Captain Planet, um, Curious George. She's also in a lot of the Star Wars cartoons now in the Star Wars animated universe. Um, She was in Bad Batch and Rebels. Mm. So she's still doing it. She's still doing voices um, to this day. So that's a long, long career. And too many credits for me to um, to go through, but but yeah, an interesting cast. Even when with the switches, they brought in some really good people mm-hmm. afterwards. So um, yeah, I was impressed with the, with the voice acting in this. It was good. Well, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think yeah. I think going back to to um, Winston's Edmore, if I'm not mistaken, did I think Ernie Hudson auditioned for the role. Yeah, of Winston Zedmore and did not get it. <laughs> Didn't get it. <laughs> and then you've got the Bill Murray call in and say, why doesn't this person sound like me? So Ernie's like, hey, I sound like me. <laughs> why didn't yeah. I get the job? <laughs> you don't sound enough like, you don't like sound Winston enough Zedmore like from the movie. So exactly. I don't think you're quite fit for the role here. Hudson. Here's We're the door. To... more like Ernie Hudson. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I love he's getting his uh, his retribution now coming back into the franchise in, in a big way, I think, with, yeah. uh, with Firehead yeah, coming cool out here. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. Well, and in addition to the, um, the voice acting, the voice cast, there's two writers that really jumped out at me. I've always mentioned, I already mentioned J. Michael Straczynski, uh, who made a huge name for himself as a writer for Babylon 5. And then became big in the comics comic world because he had a pretty acclaimed run on uh, Amazing Spider-Man actually in Marvel Comics. Actually wrote also for DC as well. He's I'm a I'm a big fan of some of the stuff he he's written in comic books. So his name always jumps out at me. I kind of look for I will gravitate towards stuff that he he puts out. Um, another name that jumped out at me was Michael Reeves, who we've seen his name come across multiple times between. He wrote on um, Batman the Animated mm-hmm. Series. He wrote on Transformers. He wrote on Dance Dungeons and Dragons, and he wrote on Jim. Oh wow! Among a host of other. And those are all shows we've done on this yes. podcast before. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, he's so we've seen a lot of his work, and I mean, he's some. And when you look at some of the episodes that they wrote for this, some of the better better episodes were tied to their names, tied to their actually, names. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tim, do you have any favorite episodes or favorite moments on the cartoon that you remember? The, the one that always jumps out to me, and I think it's in the first season, if I'm not mistaken. And to this day, every so often I close my eyes and I see this one monster. And if I, I'm probably, it's probably a cliche answer in this real Ghostbuster space, but it, it's the Boogeyman episode. Yeah. yeah. It, that, that face has never left. <laughs> this, 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 this goes back to like the concept of maybe it was a bit too dark. Maybe it was a bit too scary. Like I was probably like three or four when I'm watching this, that boogeyman face, the giant lips and teeth, yeah. this Mohawk thing, whatever the hoofs were going right. in and out of portals and the voice, the voice, what was that voice? It was so yeah. creepy for that Walker. episode. Frank Walker did that voice actually. Yeah. That was, was so Walker. good. Yeah. So good. And that episode in particular has always stuck with me. And like uh, when I rewatched it, I was like, yeah, still scared of the boogeyman. 
Yeah, and the boogeyman is the classic ghost that every kid's afraid of. You know, the boogeyman yeah. get to, and then to put a face to him is that was it. Yeah, yeah. When, once you put a face to it, now it's like it, it was like always out there as like this like spurious thing that you never really knew what it was. Your cousin told you about it and trying to scare you, or whatever. And then the real Ghostbusters puts a face to this this creature, this fear that you've had and you're like okay that's not good for me as a four-year-old <laughs> <laughs> right well and you know that 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 particular character in this context of this cartoon worked because they brought him back in season three yeah, yeah. um and yeah. i thought what what made him so effective made him as scary as it because they established right off the bat that egon scared of him egon's had this trauma tied to this character which makes it more real and makes it harder you know when you're watching the audience like oh wow what is this what is this creature yeah. You know, and of course, then you add the name to it, and the, the cash in that comes with Boogeyman. The Boogeyman, yeah. Especially for like the most like scientific and rational one of them all. Yeah. If you like, if you bucket a few of them, that he has this fear where you know he's he's the guy that's usually always pretty calm, collected. He has an answer for everything. Well, yeah. But in this, they they establish very quickly a history, mm-hmm. and so that's another thing about this. The first couple of seasons at least that you can see the writing or the attention to detail inside of that where it's not just like let's just roll through this this series we'll pump them out we'll get going here that that establishing history means that there's a longer form of story being told or at least an effort being told to connect some of the stuff up a bit more intimately for a viewer like as me as a four-year-old i'm not catching that but as someone like eight nine ten okay yeah you can see them starting to pick up on some of these threads yeah yeah and i think what what made that work so well especially for the first two seasons um is that it feels like i I think both season one and season two since they both kind of debuted at the same time they both have a a bit of a rocky start in terms of their storytelling and the actual like the the actual individual episode stories but what works so well is that they the character voice not the voice acting but like the character um characterizations of each of the four main characters is there from the jump them. They pull mm-hmm. in some of those main elements from the movies and you recognize them and they they establish that they really know these characters really well right off the right from the you know beginning. how they're gonna act with each other yeah. and how they're gonna react to each other and yes. what their strengths are and you know who's the brave one and who's the dumb one. Yeah, so whatever threat they face may be weak or weird or you know, depending on the story, but the the main characters were there's the strength was right there beginning and, and that really carried on through like the first couple episodes i want to say it took about four episodes watching Mm -hmm. season one before it really felt like they found their footing in terms of the overarching storytelling and telling cohesive strong individual episodes and the same in season two so the first four episodes are kind of "Eh, okay Mm -hmm. but then they they really start to kind of click come together and two of the things that stood out to me were in season two and it's a point where you can see where the syndication the difference between having to go through syndication and then having to go through the main network on a Saturday morning because they clearly could play a little more fast and loose on syndicated episodes because you've got one episode called A Collect Call from Cthulhu. I mean, they're talking about the Cthulhu mythos on Saturday (laughs) Saturday morning. And then the other one, which was The Devil to Pay, where they, the Ghostbusters go on a game show and they end up Mm. the devil for their soul. Yeah. It doesn't get darker than that. No. (laughs) That's a dark. That's a good episode. But but because they're able to kind of be, the syndication allowed them to go that way, they really told some really. I mean, I thought they're fascinating stories. They're really entertaining. 
Yeah, I liked um, the episodes that created just funny things in my vocabulary, like the, the New Jersey parallelogram instead of the Bermuda Triangle, you know, it was the New Jersey parallelogram. <laughs> um, and they needed to find the crew of the ship that sank. Um, Peter's dad shows up and he's a shyster and he's selling ghost repellent ponchos to the sailors that are afraid <laughs> of ghosts. Um, and they, they did uh, one episode, they did a, a spoof sort of on the story of Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman. It was a headless motorcyclist instead, <laughs> um, who was a, a, a curse on this family of this woman that Peter was hitting on at a party and her boyfriend leaves because he's angry that she's talking to this other guy and she's worried about him because the headless motorcyclist is going to find him. <laughs> uh, but they do this whole thing and it turns out this woman is a descendant of Ichabod Crane, um, which just was kind of funny that they took the classic ghost story of the Headless Horseman and put it together in, in a Ghostbusters episode. Um, the uh, Brooklyn Triangle also makes an appearance. So there's <laughs> the Bermuda Triangle, the Brooklyn Triangle, and then the New Jersey Parallelogram. <laughs> I just love that bit. Um, and then my favorite character was the, the Wear Chicken. Did you see that episode? I did watch that one, no. There's a wear chicken. So there's a man who turns into a chicken um, and strikes unsuspecting farmhouses, leaving a trail of mayhem and one very large egg, which Slimer finds and decides to cook. I did see that. Yeah. Okay, no, I, yeah. Slimer decides to cook the egg <laughs> and it, right. he hatches it. And there's a newborn wear chicken that bites Egon. <laughs> and then Egon, Egon becomes a wear chicken. Which I just like, this is hilarious. <laughs> like, who comes up with wear chicken? <laughs> All right. Last, one more episode I just want to touch on and we'll move on. But so, and it ties into the, the change with Janine and the, the interference from the, the consultants. So in season six, episode three, uh, I'm sorry, season six, episode one, you have Janine, you've changed, which was written by J. Michael Straczynski. <laughs> and that whole episode, it starts with, Slimer sees this photo album of Janine's and he looks at it and they show pictures of her from season one with the pointy glasses, with the pointy glasses and then the picture of what she looks like now. And he's like, <laughs> they, they literally call it on the episode. That's awesome. So Why is she different? And so they all like are trying to figure out. So they actually write it into canon that she actually, this ghost pretends to be a genie. And <laughs> so she wants to, she wants to change using this genie's magic to make them to like make them like her more oh. make her more likable and make her more pleasant <laughs> like literally he writes all these right things in, into it and, <laughs> and it turns out the reason she's changing is because this demon is changing her yeah and she doesn't realize it so it's <laughs> it's it's just funny that it's just like this kind of you know the inside baseball with j michael straczynski yeah. is like you guys are idiots yeah and so we're gonna actually write that into an episode i've met i've met some consultants <laughs> that i thought were demons <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think with with regards to the, like the softening of janine and the pivot towards slimer and all that and like even you mentioned as they get further on to the seasons they try to pigeonhole some of these characters do you think that's a reflection of the teenage mutant ninja turtles that kind of kicked off in 88 and really found its feet in 89 and 90 where those guys like they're very obvious about you know leo's the leader and raf's the tech guy or not Raph, Downey's the tech guy and Raph, you know what i mean like mm -hmm. that those guys had very specific roles and that was like a money-making machine kind of in this this age where especially with the toys with playmates and all that like they, they they made billions of dollars off of off of that franchise and do you think it was a shift towards like because they ran into the same problem like when they released that movie in the 90s too they're like oh my god you made this like dark movie how are we supposed to sell 
toys from that and they didn't it took NECA up until like two like five years ago to actually make toys from that movie but it's it's interesting because I don't know if it was a pivot for the kids was it a pivot for the merchandise I don't think so we'll talk about that in a little bit but I I wonder if it's outside influence from something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles which had like very specific roles for for individuals it very much sounds like something that um I hadn't considered that, but that's, that seems like it's right on the nose, especially when you're looking at, we need to give each of these guys defined characteristics that make them stand out. So when you say, when you say Egon, you know exactly what type of character he is, as opposed to these four guys who basically just kind of share duties across the board, make them, that's what makes mm-hmm. them a team. Yeah. You know, let's give each of them, you know. Yeah. And it's not hard for me to, to imagine they're looking at the success turtles was having. And saying, well, okay, we need to be more like the turtles because we're losing ground here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, so I mean, overall, when you're looking back, um, John, I'll start with you. What, uh, what, were the, what was the good? What was the good from this cartoon for you? Um, I, I liked that the characters stayed true to who they were in the movie. You know, Egon was a scientist who wasn't, you know, there's always an explanation for something. There's nothing to be afraid of. And Peter was always the babe hound and was just in it for the glory, really. And Winston was doing all the work. <laughs> um, so I, I liked that part of it. I liked that I knew who these characters were because they fit who the characters were in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tim, what was, what was it that as you look back at what really stood out to you and made it a good cartoon in your eyes? Um, I think for me, it, it really it really boils down to the idea that it was able to capture the essence of the movie and expand on that. It was able to take these four characters that we were familiar with and elaborate on their stories more. The freak of the week concept of the overall storytelling, I think, works for this because that's what we want to see the Ghostbusters doing. Each and every week going out and grabbing a new ghost and coming up with new ghost concepts and what's the next monster they're going to face. I think that's the good piece of it is it can, it took the essence of the movie and elaborated and built a universe around it where we got to spend 140 episodes with the essence of Ghostbusters to degree. It ebbs and flows throughout the seasons, of course, and there's, there's highs and lows and, the, and parts of the second season are, are better, but I, I think it all works. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I kind of touched on this already but what i thought was so good about this is that they they figure out the characterizations of the four main characters right off the bat they had they had the character voices established in terms of who each character was their contribution and and Mm -hmm. why individually they worked and as a team they worked and it didn't and when you have that kind of strength right off the bat even the weakest story arcs um you can you can work through it and you still find those moments that you enjoy um and just i mean it comes down to the storytelling and the, and the voice acting and really being cohesive and making making it enjoyable and really good bringing yeah. you in as, as a viewer yeah yeah i agree with that i think the like i said with the characters staying true to to the characters we knew and and, and liked in the movie staying staying throughout um until the network got involved and changed a bunch of stuff yeah well that leaves us we're bad john would what was yeah. bad about this for you? Yeah, that's that's it. That they they took away the Ghostbusters basically. <laughs> uh, by the end of the 140 episodes, it's like, well, what? This isn't the Ghostbusters anymore. This is Slimer, and this is 
his world, which is fine, but it's not what I signed up for. You know, I wanted the Ghostbusters. So yeah, that's, that's what I would look at. Just, eh. And some of the, some of the, uh, I could tell some of the ghosts, you know, with the freak of the week, like we need to come up with a new ghost every day. And some of the ghosts were crudely drawn. <laughs> I'd say like, it's like, look like a third grade. You'd ask a third grader, draw a picture of a monster. And that's what they'd come up with. You know? <laughs> yeah. Tim, did you have any bad? I um, to be honest with you, like as a kid, no, yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know it's easy slimer. And even as an adult going back, I think it, it does what it needs to do, but I will bridge the gap between the conversation we're having now and the conversation we're going to have yeah. in moments here it is, I think the bad is their inability to translate the success of the real ghostbusters into toy form, into collectible figure form. Um, there's, there's a weird gap there yeah. that. Playmates didn't have with the turtles. They were able to translate that very well and, and manufacture a, a show to really push these action figures. And they saw the money in the merchandising. Star Wars, very successful in translating almost every, every character, characters without lines, characters you saw for a blink of an eye in the back of a bar, made it into their figure line. The real Ghostbusters figure line, you do not see any of these monsters that you have a connection with, the boogeyman the Halloween ghost, the, the devil Jeopardy host, like none of these characters exist. And I, there's ideas and we will get into that in a minute here, but I think that's, that's the bad about this is that, you know, we talked about the idea of expanding universes and being able to translate from the, 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 the Ghostbusters on TV and then go and spend all this time as a child recreating and expanding the stories and, and coming up with your own and being creative it's hard to do when you don't have the action figures. And so I think yeah. that that's the bad. I, yeah. can't, I can't believe they never made a boogeyman figure. It's unbelievable. Still to this yeah. day, I do not know why Hasbro, who has the rights, I believe, has not gone and said, okay, we're going to do all these retro Ghostbusters. Let's produce a few figures from the cartoon. Now, it might be a rights issue, but like the boogeyman seems like, a figure that they should produce as a Comic-Con exclusive or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he's iconic. And there's no audience. Iconic, he's terrifying, and yeah. I don't know if I could bring him to my house, but <laughs> I definitely, uh, definitely buy it and like, leave him in the garage or something. Yeah, sure, <laughs> leave him outside. Leave him in a locked, <laughs> yeah. locked cabinet in the garage, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Well, yeah, so, the, yeah for, to me, the bad for me was, the again, like you mentioned, the, the network interference in this whole show. I mean, it... The first two seasons, they really found their footing. They were mm -hmm. able to tell some really interesting stories, and then they changed it. Right. Um, you know, kind of cut out some really key components of it, tried to soften it, and made it, yeah, it nerfed it down, if you will. I sure. Mean, just kind of tweak, made the wrong tweaks. Um, on top of that, and and I know this as a kid, it's what I didn't like about it as a kid. It's Slimer. Mm -hmm. I'm not a I'm not, not a, a fan. Fan. I and I, I've I've noticed this with a lot of cartoons. You know, the stuff that they add to kind of be cutesy to kids mm -hmm. did not work for me. Didn't as a work kid. for you. I didn't want that. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I I wanted what I saw in the movie, what I liked. And Slimer was mm -hmm. just he was a one off. He was he was kind of it was a funny moment. Right. I didn't need him back anymore. I mean, well, yeah. I think you had the same problem with Uni in yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, the the unicorn in Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, the little pet. Thing that was like there for cute relief yeah. wasn't really comic relief just cute relief and yeah and you then, didn't like that either yeah and then playing up the barbarian the 10 year old as a barbarian like come on i don't need that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah i thought this the real ghostbusters was was so um perfect to have tim join us here because tim collects toys mm -hmm. right and this cartoon came out and i don't think their intention was to sell 
toys. It was just to sell the Ghostbusters. We want people to watch this cartoon. End of story. Where you look at cartoons like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Transformers, those cartoons were on TV to sell toys. And Tim has mentioned that there's this gap between the show mm -hmm. and the toys. And I know he's got some cool stuff to show us and, and talk about. Um, he gave us a little peek of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man guy. So yeah, Tim, what do you what do you got for us on that end? Well, so like I said there a few minutes ago, this idea of of translating from the small screen into the toy aisles was a formula that had worked for Kenner for years. Star Wars was one of them. You, you get into eventually the Ghostbusters. Playmates was able to translate that with with Teenage Mutant Ninja Transformers, like you mentioned, He-Man, all these cartoons, all this stuff. But the key aspect of most of those successful toy lines was the ability to translate things from screen onto the pegs. And Ghostbusters, I don't know the reason. It might be a licensing reason. I don't know what what the, the whole story is behind it. But when you look at the card backs or you go and you Google the real Ghostbusters figure line from the 80s, you'll notice the big gap is in the monsters. Like you, you get your original four Ghostbusters are there. Janine pops up. You get Rick Moranis a little, his character a little later on. Those, those look very accurate. And here, I'll show you guys. So here's the Peter Venkman. He's got the brown suit. And oh, yeah. He's got the proton pack. And, like, really well, he's got the the ghost, the, the Mowgli on the arm, yeah. and all this type of thing, right? And so, like, they translated the, that first wave really well. And you get the State Puff Marshmallow Man. I'm just showing the guys here. There's yeah. the iconic Slimer. You can still actually, right now, Hasbro just re-released these in 2020. So you can go grab yourself a State Puff Marshmallow Man and a Slimer that are literal copies of, of what you got in the eighties. And the one thing to look out for, for anyone looking at tech, look at the bottom of the foot. It's hard to see on the screen here, but it'll say 1984 Columbia pictures. So that's after of course the movie, but that's how you yeah. know your, your difference between the 2020 version and mm. the eighties uh, oh, cool. version. But so you, you get those iconic, but they they are very much of the, the real ghostbusters, like the intro, right? You've got this, this state park marshmallow man, but in scale, stomping towards the ghostbusters yeah but once you get beyond that first wave that first like 1987 wave which was a very small wave a wave i don't think anyone had really anticipated would be desired or wanted out of this show because there's no figures on the pegs when the show dropped these came as kind of like a like a i think at the end of 86 or so and into 87 when you're starting to get these figures coming fast and furious but as you get in there's no ghosts in the first line other than the State Puff Marshmallow Man yeah. and and Slimer. You've got your four four Ghostbusters. Then of course you you move on to the next year and the the toys start to really pick up or the next couple of years and you get the the iconic. Everyone's got to have one of these. Oh so yeah, the Ecto One. Cool. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's like a complete Ecto One I've got here with the the seat on top and it doesn't directly translate perfectly either out of the show or or the or the movie but it's it's an iconic piece right and you move into to other things you get like the bug eye ghost which was actually an afterlife it made a brief appearance you know you get the eyeball popping out of it oh wow <laughs> but none of these this ghost i don't know if he ever makes an appearance but he's not it's not translated from from the show and then as you move on into subsequent years you start to get the, this noticeable absence of where's all these these freak of the weeks that they spent all this time well yeah right like because i'm wondering 
you play them with these Ghostbuster toys, who are they fighting or who are they defeating? You know, because when you collect, when you played with GI Joe toys, there was GI Joe and there was Cobra. You know, mm-hmm. you had you had access to both the good guys and the, you had Autobots and Decepticons and Ghostbusters. They just give you the four Ghostbusters and a couple of ghosts, and that's it. And and that's and that as that's how it went. Like it wasn't until I don't think like '88 maybe or so um, when you started to get other ghosts. But these were ghosts that we had seen at least prolifically. Like I don't know if they're ever retconned back in or if they're reused later in later seasons. But you run into things like the haunted humans, which is you get like this granny that like jumps up. <laughs> like everyone's gonna if you Google haunted humans and you see this purple grandma that has this like giant face. You've got like the mailman and the garbage man and the the handyman and the cop and the football player. Like all these are ghosts, but these aren't ghosts from the real Ghostbusters. And you get onto it's the subsequent years. You get the Universal Monster Ghosts. You've got the Mummy, and yeah. you've got Frankenstein, and <laughs> uh, what do you call it? The Hunchback of Notre Dame, whatever his name is, and Dracula. These yeah. are the type of ghosts that they are creating. You end up with things like the Trap Ghosts and the Yellow Bug. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, you get the the go. The line is absolutely and unequivocally iconic. But in no way, shape, or form does it reflect what was being seen on the screen in real time. You never get a right. boogeyman. You, you know what I mean? Like it's you, you. You get proton packs and the traps, and there, there's this real play stuff. But the, even the firehouse, like it's not a direct copy of what we've seen. It's kind of something that, that Kenner Kenner did on their own. And yeah. I don't know if it eventually comes down to licensing rights or they didn't want to pay. Columbia or whomever Kenner to get the rights to produce the boogeyman or what have you, yeah. but it's just very odd, especially in this eighties time frame, that you've got this line that is completely different from what is being presented on the screen. Yeah, this this weird disconnect from you know, the mm-hmm. cartoon, which is where you you should be be able to to really that's where your money is, right? That's like this people want to, as you said, they they see it on screen, they want to actually physically have it to be able to then yeah continue the story on their own as as, as they're playing mm-hmm. with it. But well and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was was it 10 waves of car, of, of Star uh, yeah. Ghostbusters uh toys between was it 86 and 91 when it was canceled? Yeah, exactly. And and a lot of it in this this is again going back to this idea of taking cues from the Ninja Turtles. A lot of it was taking the four Ghostbusters. Yes, you got a lot of ghosts and it expanded in their own way and own form. But the the Ghostbusters, you just got basically recreations and reproductions of those original four figures in different costumes. You ended up with the ever popular, and I think probably the most popular line, the line that people remember the most is the 87 Fright Features line, mm-hmm. where you have an action. I've got the Peter Venkman up in here, which you yeah. go to any toy show or any kid that ever had Ghostbusters had this Peter Venkman. And you squeeze the arm and his head comes up. There's even a gif on Twitter with this exact <laughs> eyeballs bulge out. Fantastic figure. You've got the Egon and the Ray and the Winston all had these these features where you actively push their legs or their arms and something happens. The fright features, you got them in space, you got them all over the place. This is like very much the reproduction that they did with the turtles, all the way up into that last line, which funny enough, this weekend I was at a, an expo up here where 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 I live in Calgary, Canada, and there's this line called the Ectoglows. Now, when you guys are done here, take an opportunity and go and just Google what an ectogold look like. It's the figures. They're translucent. 
but I believe if I'm not mistaken, I might, I might be mistaken here, but I think they're only released in Canada and they've become unbelievably rare and expensive so much so that this weekend at a convention, I saw two of them in package. One was a thousand dollars and the other was $1,400. Wow. These figures. That's amazing. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Yeah. Like, and you can get this, you can get this fright features figure for like 15 bucks, 10, 10 bucks, like just to yeah. put it into perspective, what some of the, even the earlier stuff comes. So the rarity of those ectoglows is like, and it, this is only within the last couple of years, they've become immensely popular, but a thousand and 1400 bucks. Like I was staring at them being like, wow, like, I'm never going to own this. <laughs> you came home with both of them, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I'd be sleeping on the couch. That's for sure. <laughs> for sure. With the boogeyman in the garage. <laughs> oh yeah. Don't, don't, you can't talk about the boogeyman too much here, man. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of looking back, I mean, this is something you, you've been collecting this essentially all your life at this point. I mean, as a kid, you, what think about the, the toys that you originally had, what was, um, what was kind of the, the highlight of your, your collection as you were growing up, like what you had as a kid and played with, what was the, what was the part of the, that your Ghostbusters toys are like, this is, this is it. This is the thing that I play with more than anything else. And I think it was the, the play sets. That's one thing that, especially in the early line, like within the first couple of ways, the first couple of years of, of releases, the Ecto one, the Ecto two, which is the helicopter and the firehouse. The firehouse is an iconic, it's a big, tall play set. It's got multiple levels. You can park the Ecto one inside of it. It's got a sign out front, the fire pole. You could put the goo ooze down and it would go down the middle of, and it, it had like this grate on top. So it would split it and you'd get these individual strands of ooze. That there, I think, is probably the most iconic piece. There's lots of figures, and as a collector, they're not terribly hard to find until you get into those later waves. Mm -hmm. But the Firehouse and the Ecto-1 are probably, like, the set pieces. And, you know, I talked about a photo that my mom sent me during the pandemic of me watching the Ghostbusters. The Firehouse and the Ecto-2 and the Ecto-1 are in the picture. Like, those are probably the most meaningful things. And when I got back into serious retro collecting... Those were the first pieces I went after. I went after the Firehouse. I went after the Ecto-1 and the Ecto-2 and was able to kind of smash together a just, I don't have like a substantial, like really super deep. I don't have all 10 waves of the figures, but I've got the meaningful and nostalgic figures of my youth are the ones that I went after. So it's usually like the first four waves. And there's this, like this beautiful plush of the, uh, it's the Marsh State Puff Marshmallow Man. And it's, it's to me, like, this is actually my original one. My sister had really? in her basement. Yeah. Wow. It looks and, in great shape. Yeah. It's actually not too bad, to be honest with you. It was just treated well. And it's got, like, these glow-in-the-dark eyes. And it's, it's you know, probably about 12 inches tall, maybe 10 inches tall. And it's just this beautiful piece. And this is probably the other one. This one, like, was beside me through thick and thin <laughs> yeah. up until yeah. Jurassic Park came out in 93. <laughs> <laughs> so now as an adult collector, so, I mean – you're an adult, you can be more discerning. And you kind of even said you're not collecting every single piece. You're just trying to yeah. find the things that you really want. Is there a, of what you've gotten so far, is there a holy grail of something that you don't have yet that like, you know what, this is, I'm going to be really happy if I can ever find this piece and, you know, obviously not have to, to pay an arm and a leg for it. Yeah, probably. Like, I, I would love to have an ectoglow just to say I have one, but I have no tangible or nostalgic connection to it. And so, like, that's just something that, like, as a collector, I'm like, oh, that would be really cool to have. But 
for me, I don't have, there's not a whole bunch left in, in this line. I recently, maybe a couple months ago, I ended up picking up the, uh, the original proton pack, the original trap and the original PKE meter. I got the PKE meter here. Oh, that's guys. Cool. So like, these are like these light blue, they're somewhat representative of what you saw on screen, but somewhat not. They're a bit more Kennerized and like the pack is only like 10 or 12 inches tall and I got a great deal. I'm going to do, so I don't know for those that have the toy, you'll, this is a PKE meter. There's a, there's a specific sound that, you know, as a kid, for those that had it would remember, but I, there's not a whole bunch. I'm missing a couple of like the, uh, I, I'd like to clean up, uh, collect up to about the end of 89 maybe. And I'm missing a few pieces, but there's no like, huge holy grail out there for me i've got the firehouse i've got the ecto one um maybe the ecto two is something that i could look at but I, i've got most of the big pieces it's just kind of filling in some of the the little gaps and in you know i'm missing a couple of the haunted humans and i'm missing dracula's cape from from the universal monsters wave and all that so nothing crazy but that's the thing i love about retro collecting is you can chip away at it like modern yeah. collecting is a grind and yeah. you're out there every day running up and down the aisles. It's really expensive. Trying to keep up. Exactly. The, you know, you've got Hasbro pumping out 10, 12 waves a year of black series and that equivalent in the Marvel legends. And it just becomes tiresome and it just you know, weighs on your wallet, but the retro collecting, like I'm not rushing to collect this. I just want to have fun with it. And so Long answer short, nothing crazy. It's just those small little pieces that yeah. I'll infill when I get the right opportunity. Sure. So cool. when you when you're collecting, where do you where do you find then retro pieces? I mean, is it a lot of just kind of digging through online, or are there specific places you know, like well, I know you know, is it like flea markets or anything like that? Yeah, conventions are are one place, but there's a couple of vintage stores in in Calgary here. There's one called Snap Collectibles. It's up in the north end of the city that I go to. I'm good friends with the uh, the owner. And I'll go in there. We'll make trades. We'll have some discussion. We'll have some fun. And I usually try to pick things out of his his space. And and sometimes online I'll buy stuff. Kijiji, which is up here, is kind of like a, it's like an online garage sale type thing. Facebook Marketplace is really where I do most of my hunting, um, where you can kind of get a good look at it. It's in the city. I don't really do much eBay stuff. There's a couple items I bought for like the Jurassic Park line off eBay because they're hard to get. But short of that, I'm I'm kind of a local guy for sure. Okay. Yeah. So, Very cool. Nice. Yeah. Did you guys ever collect any of the Ghostbusters stuff as a kid? I guess like you're you're kind of a little maybe late to to that for, to be like into the toys in the same capacity. Oh, I was still into toys. Um, yeah. but I was not uh, I wasn't quite Ghostbusters, like I said, like the, I, I never really connected with the cartoon as a kid. Mm -hmm. So if, if I had, that would have made a difference. At that point, I was probably still um, deep into to GI Joe, um, nice. and then yeah, the, about that same time. I mean, it was I've always been a superhero kid, so like the you know there was the uh, kind of the um, Secret Wars wave that toys mm -hmm. came out. I was I I had uh, I think all but one of those figures and. They're sweet figures. Some of the places, <laughs> the superpowers toy. So, like, I was, I was a big superhero kid. So yeah. that's kind of where a lot of my my collecting went. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't collect the toys. I had the Hot Wheels car, of Ecto One. The mm -hmm. the little tiny cars. I I was into those. Um, 
But when this cartoon came out in 84, 86, I was a freshman in high school and toys weren't cool then, you know, when you're in high school. So I didn't really, I still enjoyed the cartoon in the movie, but I just wasn't into, into toys at that, that time. I had my toys from, from earlier, but like in high school, I wasn't collecting toys. I was collecting baseball cards and baseball, playing baseball and um, being on the swim team, doing that kind of thing at, at that point in my life. So toys weren't that important to me then, um, which they've come back in my life, obviously, when I had kids. Um, but yeah, I, I only had the, the Hot Wheels car and that was it. Oh man, it's, you can get so many Ecto ones now. There's like a oh. beautiful Lego, Lego set that would look great in in the atmosphere that you have behind you there. Yeah, in the movie theater. I, mean, I definitely need to get one because I've got like Darth Vader's helmet in here. Um, I've got the Seinfeld Lego set. Nice. Um, I've got a Lego space shuttle. Some, some there's some toys in here. There's, some, there's a dark path you could go down filling out memorabilia in that room. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm. Well, this room, my wife told me this room is my room and I can do whatever I want. <laughs> there you go, man. You got you got blank check. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a blank check, but it only goes so far. <laughs> it's a blank check up to a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. There's, yeah. a lim- there's a limit on that blank check. Right. And what, what's neat about the, the Ghostbusters, I mean, you know, obviously the, the, the original Ketterline that you're, you're retro collecting is, is, is there, but there's also, I mean, there's been newer toys that have come out since mm. with the Aftermath movie um and even so the playmobile toys mm-hmm. so my, my daughter's a big scooby-doo fan and, and you know i'm a big scooby-doo fan so we have they put out a whole line of scooby-doo toys through playmobile like the mystery machine and it's pretty it's actually really, it's pretty amazing some of the stuff they put out but there's also a whole line of ghostbusters the firehouse ecto one and then actually awesome playmobile yes from playmobile oh, cool. and then you know the original four ghostbusters and then the uh the one that came out in the the teens with um Kristen Wiig and mm-hmm. Wilson McCarthy the, all four of those characters are represented as well so it's, it's actually really cool neat uh, I got the whole line upstairs do you really <laughs> I, yeah my my daughter so when I was doing a lot of the retro collecting I'd get lots of things and I'd end up with an extra state puff marshmallow man an extra slimer here and there and instead of offloading them I'd put them in a bin down here because my my youngest really got into playing Ghostbusters throughout the pandemic and all that. And so I always kept a little bin in, in my nerd room for her so that she wasn't kind of like pawing over the other stuff. Yeah. So she'd come and play and all that. And she got like really in, she's she never seen a movie or a cartoon or anything, but really into the concept of Ghostbusters. And so I was able to find almost the entire line for pennies on the dollar and I bought it all. And then we ended up buying her the uh, firehouse for, for Christmas and all that. And so she's got like the Ecto-1, the Ecto-2, the firehouse, all cool. the ori- like the original real Ghostbusters Playmates figures, the ones from Ghostbusters 2 and 1 and like the library ghosts and just everything. It's it's silly, but her and I get down there and, and still do this. Like we we're doing it like two days ago down playing Ghostbusters on the ground with awesome. all these Playmates toys. It's a, it's a wonderful line because it's it, it satisfies all of it for especially for a younger child where you're not into like the the four five inch action figures as these were like these are nice small and it's a nice way to bridge between like babyish toys like my daughter's like quite a bit older now but 
um, not a not a baby, but bridging between that kind of like younger play into an older play concept. And so mm-hmm. Playmates or what is it? Playmobiles is awesome at that. They've got Back to the Future stuff, and yes, they, 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 they've they secured worry. a lot of licenses. Yeah, yeah, they've got some pretty cool stuff. But yeah, but it's 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 really neat, especially with once Aftermath came out to see this resurgence of of Ghostbusters, not just as a movie, but you know, in the collecting space, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple of really great podcasts. I'll, I'll just toss one out there. I listen to all the time. Yes, have some. They've got like amazing Ghostbuster coverage, and they're like, like I collect Ghostbusters. These guys are like unbelievable Ghostbusters collectors, <laughs> like next level. Like because Mattel had a whole line of Ghostbusters stuff. Um, I think like Diamond Select had a whole bunch of Ghostbusters lines in the 2000s, and I never collected any of that. There's all the stuff that Hasbro's doing now. That's like the six-inch action figures, like equivalent to your Marvel Legends and your Black Series, the Plasma Series they have, where they've released the movie versions of these characters. You get the Afterlife characters, and they're going to continue to pump all this stuff through. But the the the, av- the the amount of things that you can collect in the Ghostbusters space, even to the retro stuff, they Kenner in 2020 or Hasbro re-released all the Kenner stuff again, so you can get this Peter Venkman, this lookalike. It doesn't. You can buy it for. 20, 30 bucks in bought in package. It's just a, like they've done all these like retro releases. They've done it with star Wars and all these other, like they're doing with Marvel right now. And you can go and get that sort of like nostalgic hit without going out and paying for an original figure. Like you can have those in your collection if you want, they're available. And so like the retro aspect of, of ghostbusters is come full circle inside of this discussion. <laughs> Very fun. All right. So one thing that John, I'm realizing that we didn't talk about is we didn't give our grades. Oh, so our grades on, on a scale of one to ten. Where does the where's the real Ghostbusters? So I scale I should say a scale of zero to ten. The zero. Brady the Brady kids being uh, you know the sub basement and then <laughs> yeah you know Batman the animated series and Scooby Doo. Where are you being the being the, the echelon the upper echelon? Yeah. But, uh, where's real, I, where's real Ghostbusters falling for you? I wish I could give it two grades, like the first couple of seasons and then the rest of it. Kind of like, kind of like Transformers. Like Transformers <laughs> that before the movie and after the movie, they were different. Uh, but I want to concentrate on on the the before Slimer um, things. And I'm going to give it a, a seven because it was a lot of fun. The characters were true to who I expected them to be. The writing was good. I mean, the like Tim said, coming up with a freak of the week, a new monster every time and a new, how are they going to do it this time was, was really cool. So mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed those. Um, so I'm going to, I'm just going to give it a seven and forget about the Slimer um, <laughs> series at the end. Yeah. Tim, I don't know if you want to pitch in. Do you have a, do you want to give a score? Yeah. I mean, and, and part, <laughs> of it is, part of it can be, you know, uh, in, in nostalgia based it could be just like yeah you know, however you want to want to rate it by all means that was going to be my caveat that it's going to be almost entirely nostalgic yeah based and i i gotta throw it up there as like i'll say an eight I'll, I'll factor in a little bit of of what what john was saying there about like the how it's how it changed and all that but the the nostalgic piece is, is just so important to me and that's how i remember it and even the the episode so as I went back and visited before, uh, over the weekend before we had this discussion, they to me and I went only the first season really, maybe a couple episodes into the second season, they they hold up because I think they're darker because I think that there was effort put into the writing, and and so I think 
those episodes definitely stand the test of time. Like the animation, maybe not, but it, the animation in and of itself is a bit endearing, right? It, it's of yeah. the era yeah, and it fits. It doesn't have to be crisp and perfect. It's, it is what it was. And I think that's what makes it nostalgic and that's what makes it endearing. And so, yeah, I'll give it an eight. And again, with that caveat that I'm not nearly as versed in it as, as you guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I've, in modern day, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I kind of I come down about a, a six amount, six point five is kind of what I landed on, and just kind of looking at the overarching again, the first two seasons and really that the second season, I mean, I felt like the the second half of the first season really really clicked for me. I mm-hmm. really liked it. I mean, it had a, a wonky Christmas episode, but you know, yeah, it was one else was fine. <laughs> but the and then some of those like their ability to feel, kind of stretch out a little bit more in season two and do some really unique some and, and darker things. Yeah, I thought made for made it really entertaining, and that that really bolstered the the score up. But then you get from three, four, five, six, seven. Mm-hmm. Each one just kind of feels a little bit, you know, each step away from season two and, and one and two just kind of keeps knocking that score down and sure. it's, you know the um again I, i'm not a fan of slammer and suddenly it's slammer's you know front and center and yeah um yeah i mean it just i it, to be able to go back and watch seasons one and two i'm i'm all for that yeah. i think that worked really well but you know looking at you know just to be fair and looking at all seven seasons in one big uh lens it six and a half i, yeah. I felt like where it hurt i see that in. yep I'm still sticking with a seven. Yeah, you would. <laughs> there are no rules. I don't have to. I don't have to count. I don't have to explain it to you. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. This this has been a lot of fun, Tim. Yeah. And and we want to pitch your your podcast again. It's called the Nerd Room, uh, which is where you broadcast from. Apparently, from from what I'm mm-hmm. seeing, that's that's where you get to keep your collectibles and. Um, yeah, I, I've listened to a few episodes. It, it, it's a great show, and I, I really enjoy it. So, uh, to all our listeners, please, please give Tim a follow and and uh, give a listen to the Nerd Room. Yeah, where can where can everybody find you? Yeah, best way is probably Twitter at the Nerd RM, and the website thenerdroom.net is is kind of where you can kind of catch up with all the stuff. And we're we're everywhere on all your your podcast uh, catchers or or platforms wherever you listen and all that. And I just want to thank you guys for having me on here. This has been a great nostalgic trip down down the uh, ghostbusters memory lane i've had a blast and you know keep up the great work guys i, I love going back on these uh these retro binge watches uh alongside you guys so uh oh always happy to, to jump on and, and talk nostalgia talk tunes and yeah and so cool. thanks a lot yeah we'll do it again for sure it was fun yeah absolutely thanks again for for joining us and yeah awesome. and, yeah listen to the nerd room it, it's my it's a weekly must for me so for those that have the toy, you'll this is a PKE meter. There's a there's a specific sound that you know as a kid for those that had it would remember. But I, there's not a whole bunch. I'm missing a couple of like the uh, I, I'd like to clean up, pre, uh, collect up to about the end of '89 maybe, and I'm missing a few pieces. But there's no like huge holy grail out there for me i've got the firehouse i've got the ecto one um maybe the ecto two is something that i could look at but I, i've got most of the big pieces it's just kind of filling in some of the the little gaps and in you know i'm missing a couple of the haunted humans and i'm missing dracula's cape from from the universal monsters wave and all that so nothing crazy but that's the thing i love about retro collecting is you can chip away at it 
Like modern collecting is a grind and you're out there every day running up and down the aisles. It's really expensive. Trying to keep up. Exactly. The, you know, you've got Hasbro pumping out 10, 12 waves a year of black series and that equivalent in the Marvel legends. And it just becomes tiresome and it just weighs on your wallet, but the retro collecting, like I'm not rushing to collect this. I just want to have fun with it. And so Long answer short, nothing crazy. It's just those small little pieces that yeah. I'll infill when I get the right opportunity. Sure. So cool. when you when you're collecting, where do you where do you find then retro pieces? I mean, is it a lot of just kind of digging through online, or are there specific places you know, like well, I know you know, is it like flea markets or anything like that? Yeah, conventions are are one place. But there's a couple of vintage stores in in Calgary here. There's one called Snap Collectibles. It's up in the north end of the city that I go to. I'm good friends with the, uh, the owner and I'll go in there. We'll make trades. We'll have some discussion. We'll have some fun. And I usually try to pick things out of his, his space. And, and sometimes online I'll buy stuff. Kijiji, which is up here is kind of like a, it's like an online garage sale type thing. Facebook marketplace is really where I do most of my hunting um, where you can kind of get a good look at it. It's in the city. I don't really do much eBay stuff. There's a couple items I bought for like the Jurassic Park line off eBay because they're hard to get, but short of that, I'm I'm kind of a local guy for sure. Okay, yeah, sure. very cool, nice. Yeah, did you guys ever collect any of the Ghostbusters stuff as a kid? I guess like you're you're kind of a little maybe late to to that to be like into the toys in the same capacity. Oh, I was still into toys, um, yeah. but I was not. Uh, I wasn't quite. Ghostbusters, like I said, like the, I, I never really connected with the cartoon as a kid. Mm-hmm. So if, if I had, that would have made a difference. At that point, I was probably still um, deep into to GI Joe, um, nice. and then yeah, the, about that same time. I mean, it was. I've always been a superhero kid, so like the I know there was the uh, kind of the um, Secret Wars wave that toys mm-hmm. came out. I was I I had I think all but one of those figures and. They're sweet figures. Some of those places, <laughs> the superpowers toy. So, like, I was, I was a big superhero kid. So yeah. that's kind of where a lot of my my collecting went. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't collect the toys. I had the Hot Wheels car, of Ecto One. The mm-hmm. the little tiny cars. I I was into those. Um, but when this cartoon came out in eighty four, eighty six. I was a freshman in high school and toys weren't cool then, you know, when you're in high school. So I didn't really, t- I still enjoyed the cartoon in the movie, but I just wasn't into, into toys at that, that time. I had my mm-hmm. toys from, from earlier, but like in high school, I wasn't collecting toys. I was collecting baseball cards and baseball, playing baseball and um, being on the swim team, doing that kind of thing at, at that point in my life. So toys weren't that important to me then um which they've come back in my life obviously when i had kids um but yeah i, I only had the the hot wheels car and that was it oh man it's you can get so many ecto ones now there's like oh. a beautiful like lego set that would look great in in the atmosphere that you have behind you there yeah in the movie theater, I, mean, I definitely need to get one because i've got like darth vader's helmet in here um i've got the seinfeld lego set nice um i've got a lego space shuttle some some there's some toys in here there's, some, there's a dark path you could go down filling out memorabilia in that room <laughs> oh yeah yeah i'm well this room my wife told me this room is my room and i can do whatever i want 
there you go, man. You got you got blank check. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a blank check, but it only goes so far. <laughs> it's a blank check up to a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. a limit. There's a limit on that blank check. Right. And what what's neat about the the Ghostbusters? I mean, you know, obviously the the, the original Ketterline that you're you're retro collecting is, is is there, but there's also I mean, there's been newer toys that have come out since mm. with the Aftermath movie. Um, and even so the Playmobil toys. Mm-hmm. So my, my daughter's a big Scooby-Doo fan and, and you know, I'm a big Scooby-Doo fan. So we have, they put out a whole line of Scooby-Doo toys through Playmobil, like the mystery machine. And it's pretty, it's actually, really, it's pretty amazing. Some of the stuff they put out, but there's also a whole line of Ghostbusters, the firehouse, Ecto-1, and then actually awesome. Playmobil. Yes. From Playmobil. Oh, cool. And then, you know, the original four Ghostbusters and then the, uh, the one that came out in the, the teens, with um, Kristen Wiig and mm-hmm. Wilson McCarthy, all four of those characters are represented as well. So it's it's actually really cool. Neat. Uh, I got the whole line upstairs. Do you really? <laughs> I, yeah, my my daughter. So when I was doing a lot of the retro collecting, I'd get lots of things, and I'd end up with an extra State Puff Marshmallow Man, an extra Slimer here and there. And instead of offloading them, I'd put them in a bin down here because my my youngest really got into playing Ghostbusters throughout the pandemic and all that. And so I always kept a little bin in, in my nerd room for her so that she wasn't kind of like pawing over the other stuff. Yeah. So she'd come and play and all that. And she got like really in, she's never seen a movie or a cartoon or anything, but really into the concept of Ghostbusters. And so I was able to find almost the entire line for pennies on the dollar and I bought it all. And then we ended up buying her the uh, firehouse for, for Christmas and all that. And so she's got like the Ecto-1, the Ecto-2, the firehouse, all cool. the ori- like the original real Ghostbusters Playmates figures, the ones from Ghostbusters 2 and 1 and like the library ghosts and just everything. It's it's silly, but her and I get down there and, and still to this, like we we're doing it like two days ago, down playing Ghostbusters on the ground with awesome. all these Playmates toys. It's a, it's a wonderful line because it's it, it satisfies all of it for especially for a younger child where you're not into like the the four five inch action figures as these were like these are nice small and it's a nice way to bridge between like babyish toys like my daughter's like quite a bit older now but um not a not a baby but bridging between that kind of like younger play into an older play concept and so mm-hmm. Playmates or what is it? Playmobiles is awesome at that. They've got Back to the Future stuff, and yes, they, 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 they've secured worry. a lot of licenses. Yeah, yeah, they've got some pretty cool stuff. But yeah, but it's 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 really neat, especially with at once aftermath came out to see this resurgence of, of Ghostbusters, not just as a movie, but you know, in the collecting space, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple of really great podcasts. I'll, I'll just toss one out there. I listen to all the time. Yes, have some. They've got like amazing Ghostbuster coverage, and they're like. Like I collect Ghostbusters, these guys are like unbelievable Ghostbusters collectors, <laughs> like next level. Like because Mattel had a whole line of Ghostbusters stuff. Um, I think like Diamond Select had a whole bunch of Ghostbusters lines in the 2000s, and I never collected any of that. There's all the stuff that Hasbro's doing now. That's like the six inch action figures, like equivalent to your Marvel Legends and your Black Series, the Plasma series they have, where they've released the movie versions of these characters. You get the Afterlife characters. And they're going to continue to pump all this stuff through, but the the the, av- the the amount of things that you can collect in the Ghostbusters space, even to the retro stuff, they Kenner in twenty twenty or Hasbro re released all the Kenner stuff again, so you can get this Peter Venkman this look alike. It doesn't you can buy it for twenty thirty bucks in bought in package, 
it's just a like they've done all these like retro releases they've done it with star wars and all these other like they're doing it with marvel right now and you can go and get that sort of like nostalgic hit without going out and paying for an original figure like you can have those in your collection if you want they're available and so like the retro aspect of, of ghostbusters is come full circle inside of this discussion <laughs> <laughs> Very fun. All right. So one thing that John, I'm realizing that we didn't talk about is we didn't give our grades. Oh, so our grades on, on a scale of one to ten. Where does the where's the real Ghostbusters? So on a scale, I should say a scale of zero to ten. The, zero. Brady, the Brady kids being uh, you know the sub basement, and then <laughs> yeah, you know Batman the animated series and Scooby Doo. Where are you being the being the the, eschel, the upper echelon? Yeah. But, uh, where's real, I, where's real Ghostbusters falling for you? I wish I could give it two grades, like the first couple of seasons and then the rest of it. Kind of like, kind of like Transformers. Like Transformers, <laughs> that before the movie and after the movie, they were different. Uh, but I want to concentrate on on the the before Slimer um, things. And I'm going to give it a, a seven because it was a lot of fun. The characters were true to who I expected them to be. The writing was good. I mean, the like Tim said, coming up with a freak of the week, a new monster every time and a new, how are they going to do it this time was, was really cool. So I, I enjoyed those. Um, so I'm going to, I'm just going to give it a seven and forget about the Slimer um, <laughs> series at the end. Yeah. Tim, I don't know if you want to pitch in. Do you have a, do you want to give a score? Yeah. I mean, and, and part, of it is, part of it can be, you know, uh, nostalgia based it could be just like yeah however you want to want to rate it by all means that was going to be my caveat that it's going to be almost entirely nostalgic yeah based i'm gonna throw it up there as like i'll say an eight i'll, I'll factor in a little bit of of what what john was saying there about like the how it's how it changed and all that but the the nostalgic piece is, is just so important to me and that's how i remember it and even the, the episodes i went back and visited before over the weekend before we had this discussion they to me and i went only the first season really maybe a couple episodes in the second season they they hold up because i think they're darker because i think that there was effort put into the writing and and so i think those episodes definitely stand the test of time like the animation maybe not but it, the animation in and of itself is a bit endearing right it, it's of yeah. the era yeah and it fits it doesn't have to be crisp and perfect it's it is what it was, and I think that's what makes it nostalgic, and that's what makes it endearing. And so, yeah, I'll give it an eight. And again, with that caveat that I'm not nearly as versed in it as, as you guys. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, I, in modern day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I kind of I come down about a, a six and that six point five is kind of what I landed on, and just kind of looking at the overarching again, the first two seasons, and really that the second season. I mean, I felt like the the second half of the first season really really clicked for me. I mm -hmm. really liked it. I mean, it had a, a wonky Christmas episode, but you know, yeah. those one else were fine. But the, and then some of those, like their ability to feel, kind of stretch out a little bit more in season two and do some really unique some and, fun and darker things, Yeah, I thought made for, made it really entertaining. And that, that really bolstered the, the score up. But then you get from three, four, five, six, seven, mm -hmm. each one just kind of feels a little bit, you know, each step away from season two and, and one and two, just kind of keeps knocking that score down and sure. it's, you know the um again I, i'm not a fan of slammer and suddenly it's slammer's you know front and center and yeah um yeah i mean it just i it, to be able to go back and watch seasons one and two 
I'm I'm all for that. Yeah. I think that worked really well. But you know, looking at you know, just to be fair and looking at all seven seasons in one big uh lens, it six and a half. I feel, yeah. I felt like we're at birch. I see that. Yep. I'm still sticking with a seven. Yeah, you would. <laughs> there are no rules. I don't have to I don't have to count. I don't have to explain it to you. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Look, this this has been a lot of fun, Tim. Yeah. And and we want to pitch your your podcast again. It's called The Nerd Room, um, which is where you broadcast from, apparently, from from what I'm mm-hmm. seeing. That's that's where you get to keep your collectibles and um yeah i have listened to a few episodes it's a great show and i I really enjoy it so uh, to all our listeners please please give tim a follow and and uh give a listen to the nerd room yeah where can where can everybody find you yeah best way is probably twitter at the nerd rm and the website the nerdroom.net is is kind of where you can kind of catch up with all the stuff and we're we're everywhere on all your your podcast uh, catchers or, or platforms wherever you listen and all that and i just want to thank you guys for having me on here this has been a great nostalgic trip down down the uh, Ghostbusters memory lane. I've had a blast, and you know, keep up the great work, guys. I, I love going back on these uh, these retro binge watches uh, alongside you guys. So, uh, oh, always happy to, to jump on and, and talk nostalgia, talk tunes, and yeah. And so, cool. thanks a lot. Yeah, we'll do it again for sure. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for for joining us. And yeah, awesome. and, yeah. Listen to the nerd room. It, it's my, it's a weekly must for me. So. So another one in the books, John, but we need to keep pressing forward at this time. Uh, what do you, this is 140 episodes. We should probably rethink our uh, next, yeah. our, 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 our next uh, focus. So what, what should we, what should we shift to? Well, let's, let's pick something shorter. And I just learned that this year, 2023 is the 50th anniversary of Schoolhouse Rock. It does rock. It does rock. And it slaps. As the kids say, uh, so I think we should we should do that. Let's do Schoolhouse Rock. Sounds good. I mean, you're talking about shorter. You really do want to do short. I mean, these are like three minutes long. Right. They're all about three minutes and thirty seconds long, and yeah, it, it'll be a great. Time. All right. Yeah, that's gonna be a good discussion. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Well, I hear mom. I think it's time for us to go outside. So that means cartoon time is over. I'm John. I'm Robert. And this is Toon Talk. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want more Toon Talk, you can find us on Twitter at Toon Talk Guys. Or if you've got questions, comments, or suggestions, 
You can email us at toontalkguys at gmail.com.